Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? You know, uh, we have talked about security here at our church in times past. I just do want to add, um, if anybody asks, you know, man, you sure y'all got a plan? We have Diesel's here today, so he is our security. He is a genuine war dog. He's a, he's a, a combat veteran and a, also is trained to sniff IEDs and bombs. So any all, you, you know, just so you know. And don't be fooled because he, he is gentle, but he is also a bad motor scooter. So uh, as far as I know, we're the only church in Parker County that has our own bomb sniffing dog here at the church. So we like having him here. And uh, he's usually the first one to fall asleep when I start preaching. So, <laughs> um, all right, we are, we're going to be in Acts chapter nine, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, one of the most radically changed lives that we have record of in scripture. We're going to talk about Paul today. And, um, you know, he is one that his story of conversion, it, it sticks out. I mean, he's the only one where you know, he was blinded by a light on the road, and, and Jesus spoke to him personally. And uh, we're going to talk about his life. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 9. Um, we're going to read at first verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to read verses 19 through 22. So if you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And now we're going to skip down to verse 19. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the... This story is so dramatic, and, it, and it, it does cause us to remember the story of Saul and the road to Damascus and what happened to him there. But really, to me, the thing that is, that is the most amazing part of this story, it's not that God appeared in a light and that he spoke to Saul, because God spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. So that's not a big deal for God. Now, he doesn't do that very often. But here's the thing, the thing that's most amazing to me is that you have a man who in one sentence is uttering threats and is wanting to go and to put believers in chains. And just a few, few days before, he was there when the first life was sacrificed, the first martyr was murdered because of the name of Jesus. He was giving his approval, he was there, and he goes from that to arguing in the synagogues that Jesus really is the Son of God. I mean, it is one of the most radically changed lives that we have evidence of in Scripture. 
And what can it teach us? What can we see from it? Well, there's a couple things, a couple questions we have to ask. Number one, you, you go, why would God choose Paul? Why would God choose somebody that was persecuting Christians? And why wouldn't he get to him before Stephen died? But that's not God's plan. And then one of the things that I find most amazing is Saul is using the scripture to argue with the, the, the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus is the son of God. And yet you have to ask because Paul knew the word before he was blinded on the road to Damascus. He had been educated in the things of God. He, was, he had a formal education in the Old Testament scripture, in the law of God. It tells us in other places, there's, it talks about Paul all through, that he was under, came up under the teaching of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the guy that Israel considered the teacher of Israel. I mean, he was the preeminent teacher of his day throughout the entire nation. And to be a Pharisee, you spent your whole life learning Hebrew and learning the word of God and learning the law and knowing what it meant and knowing what the scripture said about the Messiah. And so to me, one of the, one of the questions you have to ask is, how can he in just a few days go from thinking these scriptures were being blasphemed by those who were Christians to using those same verses to argue that Jesus was the Son of God. How could he know the word that well? Well enough to go in there and really silence every other formerly trained teacher, everyone else who had the same training he did, how could he silence them with those scriptures in a few days? And just a few days before, he didn't see that those scriptures testified about Jesus. How can you see something so clearly? You know, that's always been one of the frustrating things to me, it, it, living in a world where there are people that are lost, is that to me, now the truth of God's word seems really obvious, doesn't it? And I know it is to you too. And you, you're like, how can people not see that this is sin, that this is folly, that this is never going to work? Why can't they see that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, the scripture gives us different reasons. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, or excuse me, 13 through 17, it talks about a veil being over even those of God's chosen people. So being born in the right family, being born of the right people, does not mean that you automatically see the truth. It says, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, and the old covenant testifies about Jesus, okay? So whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so there are people that believe that because they were born in a Christian home, or their family's Christian, or they were born in a Christian nation, or they were born whatever it is, or they're in this family, or they're, they do these things, or they're good patriotic Americans, or whatever, 
that they're right before God. But the fact is, if that's what they believe and why they believe they're right before God, they're missing the truth of the Scripture. It's not how you were born or who you were born to. It doesn't matter if your parents were believers or if your grandparents and the grandparents before them. Now, there is great value in having a legacy of faith. And some of us have that. We can go back and trace believers in our family, sometimes for generations. And some of us are trying to set that legacy for those that are coming after us. Maybe we don't have that, but we're trying to make that legacy for those that are coming after us. And those legacies, those things are important. It is good to grow up in a Christian home. It is good to know that your parents believed and that they taught you right from wrong and that they showed you how to love Jesus and that their parents did the same thing for them. There is great value in that, but that doesn't mean that you're going to see the truth. It doesn't mean that you're a believer. You see, we all have to come to that knowledge on our own. And the fact is that until we accept certain things, we're not going to see the truth of Scripture. So there was a veil that Paul dealt with. And that veil was, you know, he believed, hey, I, I was born in the right family. He was born in the tribe of Benjamin. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And he, he was born to God's chosen people. And you know what? We don't say it, and, and it's not right, but there's a belief amongst Americans a lot of times, and in Christians, that we are now God's chosen people because we live in America, and we're not. We're chosen, those of us who are in Christ, we are grafted into God's chosen people, but America is not God's chosen people or God's chosen nation. That, there's no scripture that says that. Now, do I believe we live in a, a nation that is founded on Christian principles? Absolutely. Do I believe that we should be grateful that we can get up on a, on a Sunday morning and go Worship at the church of our choice? Absolutely. I believe those are things to be grateful for. But we also need to understand that doesn't make every American citizen a believer. So we need to know what the truth is. And how do you know the truth? It's by believing in Jesus. It can only be removed by believing in Jesus. See, the thing is, the, the Word of God doesn't make sense, and then you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the Word of God starts to make sense. That's how it works. The second thing is, some people believe that it's their intelligence. You, you'll hear people all the time talk about, well, you know, we're so much more advanced than people were 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 500 years ago. There's this underlying belief that we're just smarter now. Now, I would point to a lot of different evidence that says we're not, <laughs> but I'm not going there today, okay? But there are people that believe, well, we know more, and that's, there are things that we know more about. There are, there are constantly new discoveries and new archaeology that tells us and, and confirms, number one, what the Bible says is true, but that we learn about other cultures and other peoples. And so we have more knowledge available to us than any generation that's come before us. Any generation. So what does it say about people that are, that are just intelligent or smart? 1 Corinthians 20, or excuse me, 1, verses 20 through 23. So where does this leave the philosophers, 
scholars and the world's brilliant debaters. God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. You see, God determined in the very beginning that no one was going to find God by wisdom or by knowledge. You don't get to, well, you know, once I got my third degree, then that moment I all of a sudden realized there was a God. You can get as many degrees from school as you want to, but you're not going to find God that way. You're not going to discover the truth of God's word that way. The only way you will discover the truth of God's word is by believing in Jesus. And that unlocks the door to truth. And it's hard sometimes for us because we're, we hear people that we know are intelligent, that we know are well-educated, and they say things that are not smart. And it's hard because we're like, how can they not see the truth? Because there's a veil. There's a veil that is through wisdom. You can't see God. You cannot just in your mind educate yourself enough to know there's a God. There's not some little piece of wisdom or, or knowledge out there that if you get that, then it all becomes clear. That's not how it works. You see, to know what truth is, you've got to have the truth. And what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth and the life. And so once you know Jesus, then everything else is filtered through that and it makes sense. Okay, well that's why God created the heavens and the earth. And that makes sense about why animals are the way that they are and why people are the way that they are and how we're all born in the image of God. And why is it that, that man can think and, and have uh, a cognizance of who we are and that we have a soul and animals don't. It's because that's the way God created us. Only man is created in the image of God. And so everything makes sense through the filter of knowing Jesus, not the other way around. And Paul, by all accounts, was a very intelligent man. But his intelligence didn't reveal Jesus to him any more than his education and knowledge of the, of the law showed him. He knew the law better than anybody, any of the apostles for sure. But all that knowledge didn't bring him to faith in Jesus. And then the third thing, it says in Philippians 3, 3rd through 7, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
You see, Paul's saying, if anybody could say, hey, if you're just better, you know, you hear people, well, just be better. And they think, well, if we could just be better, then we'd be fine. But Paul's telling you, hey, I followed the law, but he's still a sinner. He's saying, look, you, you can't get there by doing right. And that's what a lot of people think, is that, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, I'm a good person. I do good things. I do this. You know, I'll I, I take care of my family or I, I'm, I'm nice to people or I, I'm generous or whatever. Those things don't get you saved and, and bring you an understanding of the truth any more than knowledge does, any more than being born in the right country and in the right family does. None of those things will save you. And as a matter of fact, sometimes they're the things that blind us to what salvation really is. Because to understand that you need a Savior, you first have to admit that you need a Savior. And there are people that believe that their life is good enough. You know, I've asked a lot of people through the years why they believe like they're right with God and get all kinds of answers. Someone will tell you, well, I was born, you know, my, my parents were Christians, my granddad was a preacher, Whatever. Some of them will tell you, well, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've studied things and this is kind of what I believe. You know, a lot of people, you, if, here's one of the dangers of knowledge is sometimes even people that have a lot of knowledge will say, yeah, I, I believe in a God and then they'll describe it. And let me tell you what they're describing. They're describing a God they've made up in their own mind, not the one who actually exists. And there's a lot of that that goes on even in churches, when you see churches that begin to, to drift away from the Word of God, is they're creating the God that they want instead of worshiping the God who is. And it's a trap. It's a false God. You see, when people tell you things like, well, I just can't believe that God would do such and such, so I believe this. They've created an idol. They're not worshiping God. You know what? There are lots of things that God does that, that make me un, that I'm uncomfortable with. There are things that God has done that I can't quite get my round, mind around. I'm like, how's I don't understand this. But at some point, you have to just yield to the fact that you're not God, and that He is, and that if He did something because he's righteous and because he's holy, then it was a righteous and holy thing to do. Whether I can see that or not, I'm not, if people who believe they can judge God are determining themselves to be God. And so these things by, you can't get there by knowledge, you can't get there by being born in the right family, and you can't get there by doing good enough. Because you know what the Bible tells us? The wages of sin is death. And one of the things we know about God is he is a righteous judge. It says it over and over again. And here's what we would call an injustice. If somebody goes out and murders someone and they go before court and they say, well, yeah, I killed that person, but let me tell you about all the good things I've done. And the judge said, well, hey, you know what? You've, you've done more good things than bad. I mean, that was just one thing. So we're going to let you go. We would consider that to be a bad judge, wouldn't we? Because you can't do enough good things to overcome. You still have to answer for what you've done wrong. The wages of sin is death. And so God's a good judge. 
And when we think that God will overlook all our bad things, because in our mind at least the ledger is to our side, I can promise you it's not. And we're counting on God being a bad judge and an unrighteous judge. God told us through his word, righteousness does not come to us because of our own actions. It comes because he declares us righteous because we believe in Jesus. You don't earn righteousness. You can't be righteous enough. You are declared righteous by God. Now, those of us who are believers, you have the right to say, I am the child of God and I am righteous before God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. And when you start to think that you've done enough to be called righteous, then you're, you've lost touch with the truth. You know, Paul even preached it. You know, sometimes Paul could preach. He preached to philosophers at different times. He went into to places where they'd never heard about God, and he used what he saw. And man, he was, he was brilliant and made persuasive arguments about Jesus wherever he went. But here in, in Corinth, where he went and started a church, here's what he said about his preaching. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clear and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You see, Paul knows, and we have to know the same thing, that people don't come because we convince them. They don't become believers because we somehow find a way to talk them into it. We simply tell them the truth. That's our job. And you know what? Sometimes they're going to receive and trust and believe in the things of God, and sometimes they won't. What is required is this, John 6, 44, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. So what's our job? Our job is just to lift Jesus up, and God's going to draw people as he chooses. The Holy Spirit's going to convict them of sin and their need for a Savior, and then God draws them to Jesus. Those things happen because God does it. We're just the messenger. And so, you know, you might get discouraged. Well, I've told people about Christ, and nobody, nobody made a decision to trust him. Well, you know what? You might just be part of the process. But the flip side of that is keep telling, because you never know when God may be drawing somebody that you didn't know about. You didn't know he was drawing them. You know, there have been times through my life where I've been like, man, I really feel like God wants me to go talk to this person about Jesus, but I'm like, I've done it before. They didn't want anything to do with it. Why do I need this? And I'd go, and man, I, I've even had people tell, tell me at different times, I've been waiting for somebody to come tell me. That's not, that ain't on me. That's, that's God doing God things. And so we tell people, because you never know when the person you're telling, it might be their day. It might be their time. 
It might be the time when God's brought it all together and now they're ready to believe in Jesus. They, they're, they're, they're there. And they just need somebody to tell them the gospel. And you're not going to do it perfectly. Now, I'd be the first one to say, the more you can know about the knowledge of salvation and the verses that go with it and about telling people about it, the better off you'll be. I, I'd be the first one to tell you that. But I will also tell you that if you are saved, then you know how to tell somebody else how to be saved. You might not do it perfectly, but God doesn't require that. I've, I've probably told you all before, but I've, I've gone through all kinds of trainings about how to witness to people. I've, gone, there, I've been through courses that are 13, 16 weeks long, just about witnessing. I went through one that used an acronym FAITH to tell somebody about Christ. F was for forgiveness, and, and each letter had its own thing, all right? And then we would go out and, and we would tell somebody, they would say, hey, you're going to go out and you're going to use that and, and witness somebody. And I was a professional minister at the time. And I went out and went through the whole thing and they accepted Christ. And I walked off and I was like, yeah. And I was expecting the guy who was kind of checking me and everything to go, dude, you, that was awesome. And he said, you know, you just led them to Christ using fat. And I'm like, what? He said, well, you left out I and H. You just hit the three. Well, they're saved, so I don't care. <laughs> and see, that's the deal is God uses our imperfect efforts. And so I'm not saying that, it, that we shouldn't want to be better at it. We should. But don't get trapped into thinking, well, I don't know enough and I might make a mistake. Hey, if they're ready, it's because God's made them ready to hear and understand. And he'll make them understand. You just tell them the truth. Hey, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose on the third day. And all you got to do is turn away from your sins and turn to Christ, ask forgiveness of your sins, and trust Jesus as your Savior and confess him as your Lord. Boom. Look, you don't have to have all the persuasive speeches and impressive words. Now, is it better to be able to say, hey, this is what the Word says, and be able to quote some verses about, absolutely. But that doesn't mean you should wait Tell people when you get a chance. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. This was Jesus appearing to Paul. And the reason why he did it this unique way, in one sense, is because Paul was to be an apostle. And apostles had to be called by Jesus and given a call by Jesus. And Paul had both. So the men with Paul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked, him, picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and he did not eat or drink. Now you go, why, why would God do all that? 
Why would he tell them to go wait for three days and have to be blind during that time? Well, there, I believe there's a very specific reason. In Acts 26, and this is later on down where Paul's telling the story, but now he, you know, now he can look back on it and understand what happened at the time he didn't know. And so he's explaining a little bit more about what Jesus told him. He said, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you've seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So here's the deal. Peter's the one who unlocked the gospel to the Gentiles, but Peter wasn't necessarily called to go witness to Gentiles. He spent most of his ministry ministering to and preaching to Jews. But God calls Paul, so he's now Paul, he was Saul, to be the one to take primarily the gospel to the Gentiles. Now that's a pretty big calling. He's given him, he said, look, I'm calling you to be my servant, my witness. Now here's the deal. So why would he tell him to go wait for three days? Well, here's the deal. God may give you a calling, but it's supposed to, it's designed to operate under control and under the authority of the local church, of the church. And so here's the thing. When God gives you a call, it's not to just go out and do something on your own. It's to use the authority of the church in doing it. Because that's where protection comes from, protection against deception that, you know what, sometimes we can go a direction and we get deceived. It's protection against the attacks of the enemy. That's what authority is. And so what does he tell him? Go and wait. And so then what happens after that is that a guy comes. It says there was a, a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Ananias was a leader in the church, leader in the faith. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. You see, you could see where if God just said, hey, go do your deal, that the rest of the church would have a real hard time accepting Paul because of what he had done. So he immediately brings him under spiritual authority of a leader in the church. Okay. And so he says, look, go to him. He is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he, will, he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. So immediately Saul begins to work under the church. God brings the ability to see again through a leader in the church. Can you see how, here's the danger, is that sometimes whenever God calls you, 
to salvation, he has a plan for you. That plan is to, to be under the authority of the church. That's where the control part comes from. I've seen through the years, a lot of people come up and say, well, hey, why don't we do this? And we go, you know, sometimes we're like, well, there's reasons why we don't do that. And they, well, but God called me to do this, so I'm going to go do this. They go do it on their own. And it, it, it never succeeds. It might, you might draw a crowd one time, but it doesn't succeed. It doesn't have spiritual power because it doesn't have the authority of the church. It's not under the authority of the church, so it doesn't have the power that Jesus promised to the church. God didn't tell you to go do something and then tell you, just, hey, just don't worry, go do it. Forget all them. That's not how it works. The second thing is I've heard people elevate their calling above the word of God. Okay, I've sat down with people. You know, we clearly have gone through what the qualifications for um, a pastor role is. And I said, well, what if God called me to do that? Well, God's not going to call you to do something that is obviously in contradiction to his word. Well, but I, what if I really felt, you know, I was really, hey, passion, everything else never overrules the word of God. Not from me or anybody else. If I tell you something that is clearly against the scripture, that is, that is, in opposition to what the Word of God says, I'm telling you right now, believe this instead of me. Now come tell me, hey, I think this is an opposition, and let's talk about it. But always believe the Scripture over me. That's why I tell you, go read it for yourself. Go read this whole conversion experience. Look at it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to look it up. I want you to read it for yourself. I want you to see. I want you to check me. And make sure I'm telling you the truth. I really do. Never, you, anybody that tries to elevate, well, I got this new revelation. Well, does the new revelation, does it contradict the old revelation? If so, then that ain't God. Period. It's not. And here's the deal. We have all the, I've got all the revelation I need for the rest of my life. Right here in this word. Every time I studied, I'm like, golly, I didn't see that. I didn't realize that. I learned something new every time I look in the Word of God. You will never get to the end of understanding the Word. Because the Bible says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to divide the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, sometimes I, get, I convince myself I'm doing something for really good reasons. And I get in the Word and I'm like, mm, nope, that was selfishness. It'll divide the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word is given to us as God's revelation. And the Bible tells us, be submissive to one another. See, I, if somebody comes to me and tells me, hey, I, I think you're wrong, I'll sit down and talk with them. If, like other elders come to me and say, hey, I think you're wrong, I'm definitely going to, we're going to sit down and, all right, show me. See, there's nobody that's above accountability. And just because I'm the pastor, I promise you, I'm not either. I can't just spend whatever I want. Okay, number one, I don't have access to the checking account or the cash. or I don't even have the combination to the safe, and I don't want it. So I can't go get, well, I'm going to go get some money and do, I can't do that, and I don't want to. There are people that watch the money. They count it. We have people that look over them, and then we have somebody that looks over them because there's accountability all through for all of us. 
And if I spend money, I got to do like everybody else. Fill out a, a, a request form. This is what I want. This is where it comes from. This is why it's ministry or church related. We all have accountability. When it comes to the things of God, we all have accountability. Beware of people that do not have and are not under authority. Be, listen, I'm going to say that again. Beware of people who are not under spiritual authority. Because they're not under protection and they're not submitting to the word of God. And be very aware of people that say, well, I know what that says, but God did that. No, there's no but. God never contradicts himself. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. So be careful about that. So God gave him this great big mission. But he put him under the authority of the church right away. And as he went through his ministry, there were times he went to the apostles and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do y'all think? And the Bible said, when they agreed, hey, he rejoiced. And then he went away and he did it. But he submitted himself first. And so with great calling comes a great responsibility to be under authority. He stayed with them for a few days. He began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. You know what he did after that? He went off and he, and he studied for three years. And then he came back to Jerusalem to be under the authority of the apostles after he'd been studying. And they received him. And they worked and ministered together. Because that's the way God intended it. You know, this story of, of Paul is amazing. Because it's the story of a life that is, I, I, can you, I can't think of a more radical change. Well, what about somebody saved from drugs? Hey, those are miraculous. I love it. What about somebody that maybe was a criminal? Hey, that's miraculous too. But this is somebody who was completely committed to destroying Christianity to somebody who became completely committed to spreading the word in four days. In just a few days. It says immediately he began preaching in the synagogue about Jesus. It is a radical life change. And it's because one simple thing, the things that he used to, to prove that Jesus is the son of God, it's the same word he was talking and quoting before, but because he had an encounter with Jesus, now he could see the truth. And it was clear. And it made sense. Because the veils had been lifted the moment he believed in Jesus. You know, the first thing he did was, it says he, he got up, ate a little bit, and then was baptized immediately. And then he began to preach the word. He showed in his actions that his life was changed. I don't know about you, but I don't, ever get, I don't ever get tired of hearing about people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Here in a little bit, we're going to see. We baptized one in the, after the early service. We're going to baptize two more in this one and three in the next one. And so it's, it's amazing to me to hear the testimonies of people and to know how they've come to know Christ. 
The girl in the first service, she was just saved this week. And she was baptized today. And she was led to Christ by somebody who was just saved a few weeks ago. That's awesome. That's a, I never get tired of those. And every baptism is a testimony that God changes lives. And he can do the same thing for you. He can change your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Here's the deal. We want to give you the opportunity to experience that life change, just like Paul did. Just like we have. So here's the thing. I don't care which of those veils you might think that you're under, but it, if you'd like to trust Jesus today, if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven and that you're in right relationship with him, and that that's going to be forever, here's the three simple things. Number one, you've got to turn away from your way of living and sin and turn to Jesus. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. You will. But you've got to be willing to turn away from it and turn to him and ask forgiveness. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us must come to Christ. The second thing is you've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And he rose on the third day. And then the last thing, Paul didn't say it then, but he says it later on in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You got to confess Jesus as Lord. And if this is your day and you know this is true, and you want to know your sins are forgiven and you want to know that you're in right relationship with God, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. I'll pray it. You can repeat it after me or pray it in your own words. Just pray it in your heart. God will hear you. But pray it with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Change me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess Him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's just a simple thing, and this is all I'm going to ask. I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. Okay. All right. Okay. So here's what I want to encourage you to do is to let someone know. We would love to help you. We would love to answer any questions you have. 
There's a number you can text. It's on the screen. Just text that word SAVE to that number, and we'll get back with you and set up a time either in person or on the phone and answer any questions and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We don't want anything from you. We're not going to bug you. We just want to help. There's a QR code there. You can open it with your phone. It's also in the bulletin. Or if you'd rather, there'll be someone here at the front as soon as the service is over, and we can talk to you today, or we can just you can talk to us in person about setting up a time to get together. It's important that you tell someone, and we'd love to help you with that. So right now, I want to pray for those that made a commitment to trusting Jesus today and pray for all of us that God would help us, A, to rejoice in our changed lives and also to look for every opportunity to spread that good word to others. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your love. I thank you for those that have come to a saving faith of Jesus today. And Father, I pray for your blessing and your anointing and your your word to be upon their life. And Father, I thank you for allowing us to be a part of their journey to you. Lord, help us to speak of our journey, to share the good news of Jesus with everyone that we meet. And Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.